In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As we continue our preparation in this time of Lent for the celebration of the central Christian mystery of the the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let's follow Jesus as he's with the disciples and reveals to them one of the deep meanings of that Easter mystery. And he does it with a miracle and he does it with words all of which we want to contemplate and consider in our own personal prayer. St. John tells us in his gospel, a large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. We see the crowd of interested people eagerly expecting to see something extraordinary because they've heard the stories of his healings. And in that crowd of people trying to get closer to Jesus, the apostles nearby, he comes up on the side of a, of a bank, of a hill, and he sits down and they sit down around him. The apostles fairly close by, very easily for Jesus to speak to them and for them to hear what he was saying. And, and when Jesus looked up, St. John tells us, saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. To see Jesus perhaps just leaning over ever so slightly towards Philip as he looks towards these hundreds of people who are coming up the side of that mountain towards them. And he tells Philip, how are we going to feed him? He gives Philip the problem. And St. John tells us how Philip answers in a very logical and understandable way. He says six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Even if we had a lot of money, there's nothing we could do to even feed a few of them. He focuses and sees the impossibility. But then, something interesting happens, and we know the story, but it's just good to recall it and to try, as we're doing now, to see it in our prayer. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? You can imagine this boy who was there and maybe feeling a little put on the spot there with his few loaves of fish and a few loaves and a couple of fish. And maybe as soon as Andrew says, well, you know, we've got a few loaves and a couple of fish, as soon as he says it, he kind of feels embarrassed for having said it because it's so obviously disproportionate to what's needed. So then he says afterwards, but what are they among so many people? Kind of like everyone else is laughing at him when he's just offered these few loaves and a couple of fish and he kind of retreats 
from that little offer. But Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish. And then the beautiful part about the miracle, St. John says, as much as they wanted. This multiplication, this giving of the loaves and the fish, is a feast. It's not kind of, you know, God thinking, okay, what is their caloric intake need? You know, what do they actually need is in terms of their biological necessity? So that's one, you know, certain amount of grams of bread for him, and then she can get a little bit more fish, but since she's older, she needs less. It's abundance. As much as they want it. We'll come back to that point because it says a lot to us, not just about who Jesus is, but about what the Eucharist is and what it means when he says to us that he wants to give us his body as bread. He wanted them to eat as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, St. John says, in other words, after everyone had eaten as much as they wanted, Jesus told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. So even after everybody's eaten as much as they wanted, there's still 12 baskets of just leftovers. The abundance of what God gives. When the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. What is Jesus doing with this miracle? Was he only interested in just feeding a lot of people on one afternoon 2,000 years ago and that was the end of it? Because, you know, they're going to be hungry the next day and the day after that. Was that the only thing he was interested in? Just taking care of that one afternoon? He wanted them being fed, feasted rather, on that one afternoon. He wanted to show the apostles. Remember how it all started, him saying to Philip, Philip, what are we going to do? He wanted to show the apostles, and he wants to show us, now in our prayer, how to see and acknowledge reality. What was the reality? They had no food. They had no means to feed them. There was no solution. Through this miracle, Jesus wants us to see and acknowledge reality, but not to be confined by it. See the difference? He tells Philip, how are we going to feed them? What's the reality? But Philip looks at the reality, but he's confined by it. Well, I don't know how we're going to feed them, so there's nothing to be done. Impossible. Nothing, to, nothing can be found as a solution. But through the miracle, Jesus wants us to go beyond that. He knows that this question to Philip, he knows the question to us, will lead him to experience his limitation. He wants us to get to that experience of limitation and then go beyond it, trusting in him. And just that little motion, that, that, that little 
storyline, if you like, needs to repeat itself in so many aspects of our Christian life. For example, sometimes it might feel impossible for us to forgive a particular person. We might feel incapable of being open and loving with someone else. Really being committed and and diligent my work might feel overwhelming. But Jesus wants us to experience that limitation, to bump up with that feeling of, I don't think I can do this. And then confiding in him, go beyond it. Trusting in his grace to push forward. Because he wants us to understand that Christian faith is not just sprinkling a little blessing on what we were doing anyway. You know, kind of how my life is what I can do. This is what I feel myself capable of. This is as far as I can go. And Christianity just kind of throws a little sprinkling on top of that to make it shiny and holy. Christian faith is a call from the inside of your soul to the fullness of life. You know, sometimes there's the, in the, the book of the Apocalypse, there's this image of Jesus coming and knocking on the door of the heart. He says, I am, behold, I am at the door and knock. Jesus knocking to get in. But maybe one of the things that we need to consider with our Christian faith is that sometimes Jesus is on the inside knocking to get out. To get out in us loving others. In us being generous in the way that we work. In us not staying in the familiar confines of what I already know I can do. Because Christian life is a call, Christian faith is a call to life, capital L. Jesus knocking to get out, not just to get in. So this miracle happens. Jesus gives a sign. He wants to show the apostles and us, and we consider it now in our prayer of how he can take something small and material and through his blessing transform it into something that gives life to as many as want. No limits, no boundaries. Then we transition. The gospel story takes us to the next part. And this is the the part that we really want to try to see in slow motion. And really ask the Holy Spirit, as we're trying to pray right now, to see it more clearly. What happens, if you remember from the story, is that the people are very enthused, and we can understand why, by Jesus' miracle. I think it's amazing. Truly, it's the prophet. Jesus' popularity soars through the roof. Everyone's coming around him. They want to come and take him away to make him king. What does Jesus do? The first thing he does is he gets the apostles on a boat and he sends them to the other side of the lake. Because he doesn't want the disciples to get caught up in that. So he sends them to the other side of the lake because Jesus doesn't want that popularity and the power that popularity brings. Jesus refuses it. Interesting to notice. And then he disperses a crowd and he joins the apostles on the other side of the lake. So fast forwarding to that moment. They're on this side of the lake the next day. And the crowds find them again where Jesus is. And then St. John tells us, when the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you're looking for me not because you understood what I was trying to communicate with that miracle. You just want another feast. Like That's, the, that's what you're after. You want more, you know, just kind of that abundance. And it was really good bread and fantastic fish. And you want more of that. Like, let's keep that going. Then Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. What Jesus wants them to see is that the multiplication of the bread and of the fish was a sign that pointed to something else. The people, though, just want more of the sign. They aren't interested in what it's pointing to. They just want more bread. They want solution to an immediate need. And that's understandable. Think about ourselves. Think about your life. I think about mine. Isn't it often the case? Just think about today. Think about yesterday. That what most occupies our thinking and, and our concern is solving immediate needs. Something I have to get done. The way that I feel right now what I'm worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, why am I not in a good mood, why is this not happening, and we, we get concerned with just solving immediate needs. That's a little bit what they were doing. That's what they were concerned about. Jesus, help me fix what I need to fix right now. They don't feel the need and that they need the truth that that sign was pointing to. Okay? And this will become more important when we consider the words about the Eucharist that Jesus says to them. But in our prayer to just notice this, this fact, that one of our biggest blindnesses in the life of faith is not realizing how much we need Jesus. They were very aware of how they needed bread and fish. You and I might be very aware of how we need uh, to do well at work, or I need to get this thing fixed, or how I hope this relationship goes better or this other situation in my family is very much, that needs to be fixed and there's a problem here and I need a solution for that. We're very much aware of all those immediate needs that we have. But am I really aware that I need Jesus? Not that life would be a little bit better with him, you know, be kind of nice but not necessary. That's not what our relationship with Jesus is like. That's what our relationship is with a luxury sports car. Okay? It'd be really nice to have a luxury sports car. But you know what? If you don't have one, it's okay. <laughs> You'll survive like. Huh? And uh, I mean, I say that as one. Uh, I don't have one either. Huh? And we're surviving. We're making it. It'd be nice, but it's certainly not necessary. But Jesus is something that I need. Like the way I need oxygen. That's the way that I need him. And that's what these signs that Jesus performs are trying to point to. And he's trying to awaken them to that deeper desire. So he's getting to say, do not work for the food that you just need today. Don't worry just about immediate needs. Think about the food that endures for eternal life, which I will give you. So Jesus speaks to them about seeking more. He arouses their curiosity and desire for more. And then he gets them to ask for it, and they do. 
when he tells them that, you know, seek the food that endures for eternal life. And then they say to Jesus, they say, give us this food always. They want more. They ask for it. Jesus reveals to them what it's going to be. But he does so in a way that was completely unexpected for them. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Hear those words as if for the first time. But hear them with Jesus speaking them to you. Hear a man with eyes and a face saying those words, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Those aren't just maxims floating in the air. They are words coming out of the mouth of Jesus so that you and I hear them and look back and believe that they're true of him. What's the reaction? Then the Jews began to complain about Jesus because they said, we can imagine them muttering this to one another. Maybe in the back of the crowd, people start looking around. You know, the way people get awkward and these sorts of things, and they start shifting and looking sideways, and some people look down, and others are muttering. St. John tells us, some of them said, how can Jesus say this? Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I have come down from heaven? We know where he's from. Like we, we, you know, he's our neighbor-like. How can he be saying these things to us? The first stumbling block that they have is Jesus being too familiar to them, too ordinary. They hear what Jesus says, I I'm offering you life, and they say, but we know who you are. One of the ongoing themes in our times of prayer here is that we do not truly know Jesus yet. Our image and our knowledge of him is so, so small. It's just beginning. As St. Paul says, we see in a mirror darkly, a poor reflection, a glimpse, a glimmer. And we need to acknowledge that, not to say, oh, well, I don't know anything and I never get to know him. No, no, no. Precisely so that we don't think that what I already know him, but I'm on the way. Because what we see over and over in the Gospels, if you think you know him, then you miss him. It's those people who have a heart that seeks It's the heart that accepts it needs him. That is the heart and that is the person who gets close to him. And now as we turn to consider the Eucharist, think about how we might apply those words, maybe not in our mind, but in practice, to Jesus in the Eucharist. When I think about the Eucharist, just hearing that word right now, when you look at him right now as you can, in the tabernacle. Is he too familiar? Is that a familiar sight?
What about the Mass? Am I missing him the way that these people missed him because I think, well, yeah, I've been there before. I know what it's like. I know what it feels like. I know what it involves. But the real stumbling block, the thing that really uh, shatters their way of understanding is what Jesus goes on to say. He reveals to them and he shocks them with the realism of his love. Jesus says to them, Whoever, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Even as we hear these words now, they are still shocking words. And I'm not going to read it, but the original Greek is even more visceral and hard to translate because he's using verbs and nouns that are very fleshy and physical. In the original, there is no mistaking or thinking that he's using symbolic language. There's just a sort of little poem to image something else. The reason that the people listening to him say, how can he give us his flesh to eat? Is because that's what they understand him to mean. Because that's what he said. As Catholics, we believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is his living body existing under the mere appearance of unleavened bread. Tastes like unleavened bread, looks like it. Put it on a microscope, that's what you'll see. But we believe that these words of Jesus in the Gospel of St. John are words that point to a reality that is offered to us day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, of Jesus giving us his body. And it's good to just mull that over. Let that, those shocking words, let that faith have an effect on me. Let it have consequences in my life. Let it mean something for me personally. But in saying this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in me. What is Jesus trying to achieve? What's his goal with this revelation? There's a number of things that we could say, but right now as we're trying to pray, and right now as we're trying to pray in the very presence of this Eucharist, in the very presence of this body and of this blood, of this living body of Jesus Christ, what I'd like to suggest to you is that one of the biggest challenges for your faith and for mine is believing in God's love for me. 
Just think about this with an example. What I mean, believing in it, right? It's easy enough to believe that parachutes work, right? You can read that in a book, you can see it in the movies, you know that the uh, parachutes work. It's easy to believe that, isn't it? It's another thing to jump out of a plane and to believe that your parachute is going to work. Very different thing. Well, I think believing in God's love in a meaningful way is like believing in that second sense. Not believing that other people's parachutes are going to work. Not believing that they might, you know, I know what a parachute is. But I believe that this parachute on my back is going to work for me. It's something that I actually rely on. Because you jump out of that plane, you sure are going to be relying on that parachute. And when we walk out the door in the morning, we need to be relying that God is my father. He looks at me as a father would look at his only child with that kind of love, interest, and attention. And he does that even though I'm a little bit of a disaster and I'm a sinner and I let him down time and time again. He doesn't get fed up. He doesn't stop. And in the Eucharist, Jesus gives us the clearest and most radical assurance of that love. Do you want to believe that I love you? Do you want to believe that I'm here for you? I give you my body. I give you my essence. Here's my life. And I'm going to give it to you in an easy way that everyone can access. Men, women, children, old people. I'm going to give it to you as food. And I've noticed that you like wine. And I'm going to give it to you as wine. And bread is one of the most basic foods that human beings have. Children, old people, adults, everyone. And I'm going to become bread for you. He wanted to give us his life. He offers this in the most easy, accessible way, so that we might more easily believe that that love is real and it's for me. To help us believe it even more, Jesus offers this, and we go back to the gospel scene now. Jesus offers this love knowing that some people are going to walk away. People who were his followers and his friends, people who had spent the previous year Day in and day out, listening to him and spending time with him. People that he had affection for. That he had brought into his confidence and his trust. He was going to offer that kind of love. He was going to speak to them in that kind of clear language. Even knowing that they might walk away. St. John tells us, when many of his disciples heard these words, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? And because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. Isn't that amazing? After everything we just said, what that means, it was too familiar. He was too just Jesus for them. It was too close for comfort. Instead of trying to be open to the mystery, 
because they know that they need Jesus. They simply rely on what they already think, and that's what they walk away with. And for you and I to go deeper in our faith, for you and I to grow in our knowledge of Jesus, we cannot stay with what we think we already know. With a sincere and humble heart, we have to keep seeking. That's a beautiful way to live, by the way. It's a young, youthful way to live. Seeking and letting, saying, I still don't understand, but I want to learn more. So they walk away. We don't have time to, to much more time to spend on this, but just very simply before we, we end our prayer, just to consider the scene. Jesus has said these amazing words, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in me. He says many other words as well, but that's the heart of it. And close friends just walk away, and they don't come back. Remember how we started this scene, Jesus' swelling popularity, popularity that could have been translated into power, political power, that he could have leveraged in a military way. That disappears now. And let's contemplate very briefly how Jesus reacts to that sudden loss of popularity. What does he do when people find him unacceptable? He is serene. He's transparent. He is absolutely confident that this is what I have come to do. He's not shaken. And in a culture that constantly changes, depending on what is popular, depending on what the latest focus group has said, depending on what people approve of or like, isn't there something fascinating and attractive about sticking to the truth when few other people do? We see that in Jesus. That confidence, not arrogance, not fanaticism, but the simplicity and the humility of truth. And he turns to the apostles. And in this incredibly dramatic moment, the apostles are there watching everybody walk away. They're feeling how everything's changing. The popularity's going away. The excitement's gone. The mood has changed. Jesus turns to them and he says, to his 12 closest friends, the men that he had chose to be the pillars of this new family of God that he was founding on the earth, he turns to them and says, will you also go away? That was a real question, Jesus asked. They really could have walked away. And he wanted to know in that moment, do you want to say yes or do you want to say no? His invitation to them and his invitation to you and to me, is that real? Our yeses are real yeses. And our noes, let's be honest, are real noes too. So as we come towards this Easter, let's prepare ourselves because we want to, not because we know we should or it's the right answer or whatever. Let's prepare ourselves for a resounding yes. Yes to that love that is presented to us in the Eucharist. Yes to that love that happens in the resurrection. Yes to that love that is worth a sacrifice of so many other things. 
that might separate us from it. Now, some of you are going to Rome, spend Holy Week there. And Rome is many things, but it's this, the, the place of Peter, it's the place of the Holy Father. It's the center of Roman Catholic Christianity. And it is that because of the martyrs, those women and men who at the very beginning of our Christian faith understood very simply and clearly that the love they were receiving in the Eucharist was a new life. And that new life, capital L, was worth everything. It was worth distancing themselves from the culture that surrounded them in that early Rome. All of the horrible abuses and things and the degradation of humanity surrounded them. They were receiving a new life and they were getting it in the Eucharist and it allowed them to understand that it was worth suffering for. So just think about that in Rome, you know, of when you see the churches and the beauty, uh, the architectural beauty of so many things, that it's not the bricks and the mortar that's really impressive. It's that witness of faith and that it helped you and it helped all of us in these days have the courage in our own circumstances to believe in it, to believe that it's still possible and for each one of us to have the courage to claim it as our own. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, and my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.